Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. People from communities across the state are gathering virtually this week to address many critical issues of public policy and government. Topics range from hunting and fishing to health, safety, and education, to land and water, and energy. Those taking part in the 2020 Alaska Federation of Natives annual convention are tuning in to hear both live presentations and pre-recorded videos. COVID-19 has impacted tribal communities across the state as leaders continue to advocate for resources. Work continues amid the pandemic to address issues facing their communities. Alaska Native cultural teachings, wisdom of elders, and indigenous resilience are helping many people get through these difficult times. Join us to hear from some leaders and policymakers next on Alaska's Native Voice. Reporting from the 2020 Alaska Federation of Natives Convention in Anchorage, Alaska, I'm Alice Kaniklen. The coronavirus took center stage during day one of AFN. Alaska's chief medical officer, Dr. Ann Zink, recalled the historic impact of the 1918 pandemic on the Alaska Native community. I think there's some real similarities. The difference is that we have new tools now. We have testing. We have a better understanding of science collectively. And we have tools to be able to try to minimize the spread. One of those tools is vaccination. We don't know which vaccine is going to come out first. Uh, We don't know the recommendations for which age group or which uh, population, but we want to be ready. Zink said the state will submit a vaccination plan to the Center for Disease Control on Friday and expects limited vaccination distribution in Alaska by the end of the year. Sixty percent of patients who seek care at the Alaska Native Medical Center come to Anchorage from outside of Alaska's road system. To prevent the risk of COVID spread, ANMC's Director of Community and Health Systems Improvement, Dr. Robert Anders, said they have changed up the intake process from the time a patient is admitted until they're released. I think we still can deliver care very safely. Many of these care needs that are being delivered day to day at ANMC can't be delayed another six months. Um, They need to get addressed. They need to have surgery. They need to have other procedures done. They need to come into Anchorage, and we need to figure out a way to do that safely. During the morning panel, medical professionals recommended everyone consider getting a flu shot this year. The Council for the Advancement of Alaska Natives has also submitted a resolution to the AFN board to prioritize vaccination for vulnerable and underserved populations. The resolution also calls for a 100% flu vaccination rate for all Alaska Natives. The pandemic was also a key talking point for Alaska's senior sitting U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski. She says the pandemic has put a spotlight on the inequalities of services and care available for many rural Alaskans. We we have seen with COVID-19 a spotlight, and one of those spotlights has really um, served to highlight the inequality in our country in a multitude of different ways. And we see that anger and, and frustration over these inequities manifest in racial tensions across the country. And it it challenges challenges all of us to ask the broader question, how how do we address inequality in our country? And I think it starts by acknowledging inequality and the challenges facing people of color. During her address, Senator Murkowski says that adequate broadband has a disparate impact on children required to learn virtually. She also says low-income service sector workers have been hit hard. 
and that minor communities often see higher death rates and limited access to care and services. In her address, Murkowski turned to a topic of discussion that dominated much of the afternoon, public safety and missing and murdered Indigenous people. Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs Tara Sweeney spoke about the Trump administration's work in Indian country and the institution of Operation Lady Justice, a federal task force dedicated to working toward missing and murdered Indigenous women solutions. Sweeney also pointed to the state and local level efforts that are crucial in helping bring these issues to the attention of the federal government. In addition to the efforts at the federal level, there have been many strong, effective local advocates who have worked these issues for decades. Elevation of these issues to the national platform would not have been possible without their advocacy and tireless efforts. Thank you for providing a voice to the voiceless and serving as a guiding light for policymakers. On day two of the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention, U.S. Congressman Don Young and U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan are expected to give their addresses, and AFN will announce its President's Awards as well. Sullivan will also participate in Senate candidate interviews, as well as independent candidate Dr. Al Gross. The Alaska Federation of Natives will likely announce the election of a new AFN co-chair to assume the seat being vacated by Will Mayo. Special thanks to KNBA's Trip Kraus and freelance producer Emily Schwing for contributing to this report. In Anchorage, I'm Alice Kaniklin. The AFN Newscast is produced by KNBA and Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation. Support provided by the Siri Foundation, Cook Inlet Lending Center, South Central Foundation, Chalista Corporation, Manilik Association, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, and Rasmussen Foundation. This is a production of KMBA, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One, the Native American radio service. This is Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. COVID-19 has presented many challenges when it comes to education, conducting business, and health and safety of communities across Alaska. Yet, work by Native leaders, policymakers, grassroots groups, and others continues amid the pandemic. The Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, known as the CARES Act, was passed by Congress and signed into law in March to provide assistance to people across the United States. $8 billion was included in the relief package for tribes, which included Alaska Native corporations. That led to lawsuits from tribes in the lower 48 and some in Alaska, claiming they're not eligible for the funds because it should be for federally recognized tribal governments. In September, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit ruled in favor of tribal governments and that Alaska Native Corporation's regional and village cannot qualify as an Indian tribe. Alaska Native Corporations in statements called the ruling flawed and Alaska's congressional delegation disagreed with the ruling. While tribal leaders, including Mike Williams, chief of Akiak Native Community, says the funding should be in the hands of tribes. Williams says the issue has caused fighting, which should not be the case, as Alaska Native communities continue to deal with COVID-19 and provide much-needed services to community members. My name is Mike Williams. Uh, I'm the chief of the Akiak Native Community currently, and... uh, we have uh, a population of uh, over 500 uh, tribal citizens here in Akiak, and I've been serving on the Tribal Council for over 40 years.
Let's start off by talking about how COVID-19 has impacted Alaska, especially Native communities. How has it impacted your community? Uh, it has uh, given us uh, a lot of anxiety and, uh, on a, you know, a little bit of um, unrest um, here. And it has been a scary time for us um, in ACTIAC, so we instituted um, uh, very strong policies um, of traveling outside of ACTIAC. Um, we encourage everybody to stay home and, um, and, um, and whenever uh, they come, uh, come back uh, from uh, traveling out, uh, they are required to have uh, to be in quarantine. So it's very chaotic uh, to our uh, all of our communities in Alaska. So uh, our tribal governments have been um, doing a very good job after they uh, received that terrorist funding, and uh, that really um, uh, gave us relief. Uh, uh, in these times uh, when we institute uh, very uh, strong policies uh, that impact uh, our communities. So it's been very helpful. And let's talk a little bit more about the CARES Act. The $8 billion was included in the CARES Act for tribes, and there's controversy and litigation surrounding the inclusion of Alaska Native corporations. Tribes in the lower 48 and some in Alaska claim ANCs are not federally recognized tribal governments and don't qualify for CARES Act dollars. Can you explain your stance? Yes. Um, uh, clearly, uh, from the beginning, I uh, uh, wrote a letter uh, that uh, those uh, only on a tribal, annual tribal list uh, should qualify to uh, receive that funding. And um, I think there was uh, some... Uh, kind of uh, allowed with the Indian Self-Determination Act to include um, the Alaska Native Corporations. You know, they are state chartered and not tribal governments. And uh, uh, that Native community, you know, we've been looking at um, um, uh, the issue ever since 1971. And, um, and especially when um, uh, the... Uh, uh, tribal list and recognition uh, took place in 1993, um, 1994. Um, it solidified uh, the existence of our uh, federally recognized tribes in Alaska. So there's uh, uh, 229 federally recognized tribes in Alaska that are um, uh, that have government-to-government relationship with uh, the federal government, whereas uh, uh, the native corporations uh, are for-profit corporations uh, that um, uh, that in a settlement that uh, it took place uh, in 1971 that um, um, that uh, extinguished our hunting and fishing rights that um, left out the children that were from the um, from the uh, shareholder list that were born after December 18, 1971 and the management of our lands were uh, given to uh, the uh, Alaska Native uh, Corporation uh, Board of Directors to manage under this, uh, um, under the for-profit uh, corporation that is state chartered under the state of Alaska. You know, we know 
that um, uh, that the village and uh, regional corporations are not governments, and uh, we stood by that, uh, and we understood that CARES Act it was for 574 uh, tribes uh, in the nation to receive um, uh, this uh, uh, CARES Act money, but uh, unfortunately, um, um, you know, we're at a place where. Um, um, litigation took place, and um, and it should never um, uh, the uh, uh, native community should never uh, come into this um, um, position of, um, of fighting, quote unquote, uh, fighting amongst each other. And um, um, but um, I think uh, uh, we um, we need to. Um, uh, Avoid that at all costs, and uh, and um, you know ever since uh, the first um, um, ever since uh, 1492, um, you know uh, our people from the East Coast to um, Alaska uh, have experienced um, um, you know um, issues uh, uh, losing our lands and. Uh, and et cetera, and and we've uh, also uh, endured um, the pandemics and also uh, these diseases that were brought from uh, uh, outside, and uh, of course uh, uh, we experienced all that um, with um, those uh, unnecessary deaths that uh, occurred to our people, and we're still kind of trying to recover from that. But I'm glad that uh, we have 229 really recognized tribes that are strong and know what to do about uh, the issues in the community. And can you touch a little bit on why you think or why the CARES Act funding should be in the hands of tribal governments? How does that help um, tribal governments directly respond to COVID-19? We, um, uh, the tribal governments, uh, provide essential services. Uh, all the governmental services uh, we receive uh, from the Department of Interior, and uh, we provide uh, public safety, we provide education, we provide uh, uh, tribal courts, uh, we provide uh, health care and uh, other uh, services, governmental services to our citizens. And, um, and we have... Uh, I've been doing that um, uh, government to government um, um, contracting and compacting. Um, uh, and at times uh, we allow uh, uh, to create nonprofits to provide uh, services to our, uh, to our villages. Uh, but, um, uh, but we uh, did not, um, uh, we did not um, uh, uh, lose um, that sovereign authority, and uh, and that sovereign authority uh, is uh, we can uh, allow uh, nonprofits or profits to um, uh, to um, work for us um, under um, a resolu- authorizing resolution by our federally recognized tribe, and that's what we've been doing. Um, since uh, the uh, uh, since 1975, with the Indian Self Determination Act. 
what was your reaction to the ruling by a federal's a federal appeals court in late September that sided with tribes on the ANCs that they do not qualify? Uh, I commend uh, the three judges uh, uh, for that positive uh, 3-0 decision. And, um, and I think uh, uh, they are very uh, correct that, um, that um, uh, Native corporations are not uh, federally recognized tribes or uh, tribal governments. And um, and I think uh, that uh, explains explains it very clearly, and um, and um, and I applaud um, uh, their thoughtful um, decision, and um, and hopefully that um, it will stop there, and um, and we need to um, uh, work together with our uh, native corporations and our nonprofits and. Um, Every one of us in Alaska, we need to work together. And uh, this uh, issue should not uh, split us apart. And um, and along with uh, our brothers and sisters from uh, Lower 48, we need to work together. We need to support each other. And, uh, and this issue uh, should never uh, split us apart. Tribal gatherings, conferences, events, which have either been postponed or canceled, do you have a message of encouragement as a tribal leader, as business, as school, and just as Alaska Native way of life continues amid the pandemic? Yeah, uh, all of us have been affected, and um, and ACTAC Native community is uh, a member of uh, in good standing with Alaska Federation of Natives, and uh, and uh, and it is um, uh, um, uh, you know with this uh, issue of uh, Pandemic and uh, not uh, being able to um, uh, not being able to um, uh, uh, be in the meeting in person, and we had our annual ABCP convention here with our nonprofit, um, and uh, and we'd love to um, uh, we'd love to um, um, uh, be um, together in. Uh, Anchorage or Fairbanks, it's where the um, annual AFN conventions have been held, and to um, uh, talk about uh, our issues in person. So we need to continue to um, utilize the um, uh, utilize the technology to um, uh, to continue to work on our issues because uh, we cannot afford to uh, rest a little bit because of. Uh, uh, Restrictions and uh, large gatherings that um, uh, that may affect uh, our health, and uh, so uh, so uh, I commend uh, the virtual uh, meetings uh, statewide, um, regional uh, uh, meetings, and also national meetings with uh, the National Congress of American Indians, which uh, we're going to be attending. That was Mike Williams, chief of the Akiak Native Community, sharing thoughts on COVID-19 relief aid. Meanwhile, Alaska's congressional delegation is critical of the circuit court ruling against Native corporations. In September, U.S. Senators Lisa Murkowski and Dan Sullivan and Congressman Don Young in a statement said 
They disagree on the decision by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, determining Alaska Native corporations are ineligible for tribal assistance in the CARES Act. U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski says the tribal set-aside was created to provide relief for all Native American and Alaska Native people, regardless of how they receive aid. Here's Senator Murkowski. I appreciate that the opportunity to have a discussion. This is something we very intently focused on when we first began initial discussions of of COVID relief funding. In those preliminary discussions about the CARES Act, it was very important to me to make sure that uh, as we provided relief for, for individuals, for healthcare facilities, for schools, uh, that we also recognize uh, our tribal communities, we recognize our tribal governments. And so, um, Initially, we were dealing with a, um, I, I hesitate to say it, but I will. We were dealing with the, the, the kind of the standard response when it comes to, to many of the funding priorities within Indian country. Um, they just weren't receiving an equitable amount. And it was an initiative that I engaged early on and um, <clears throat> worked aggressively to make sure that there was not only a tribal set-aside, but that it was a substantial amount. Uh, I argued for uh, in excess of the $8 billion that we uh, were able to successfully insert in that, um, but $8 billion, I think we all acknowledge, is, is historic. Um, and that was the good news. Um, we further, as a delegation, made a very early point to ensure that when we were talking about the relief to, uh, to be distributed, that it would encompass all, all the different ways that, uh, that services are provided within the state of Alaska, uh, recognizing that we have a much more complex um, uh, arrangement um, uh, provided through our federal laws, through through ANCSA, in terms of, of tribes and tribal governments, making sure that we included a definition that was specific to include all, all layers of, of uh of tribal entities, all layers of, of relief for Alaska and Native people. So we, uh, the delegation, included this tribal set aside that we felt addressed Alaska's unique tribal governance structure to include, to specifically include ANCs as eligible for that aid. So uh, you mentioned the September uh, decision from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit uh, that had determined that ANCs are ineligible for tribal assistance uh, through the CARES Act. This overturns not only the, the June decision by the U.S. District Court, um, but really goes directly contrary to, to what the Alaska delegation 
had intended and and had specifically included in in that legislation what what we wanted to ensure is that we are we're talking about the services under the federal trust responsibility as well as protecting Indian self-determination in the state of Alaska. And so we took a very holistic view of how the sovereign tribes and the ANCs, um, we, we acknowledge that they serve different purposes, but, but we, we wanted to ensure that all those who, uh, who receive services um, would be would be covered through these CARES uh, funds. So, as as we look to to how uh, how the, the services have been provided, um, this is not this is not a situation of of trying to replace uh, lost revenues. Uh, this is uh, a full effort. To support the cost of responding to the pandemic, so we are we are uh, obviously very concerned about the, uh, the court's ruling um, from the U.S. Court of Appeals uh, because the implications, if this were allowed to to stand, would basically withhold relief from a subset of Alaska Native people simply because of the unique tribal system that we have in in Alaska. And I am greatly concerned that if it stands, it erases more than 45 years of precedent and practice and has the potential to undo uh, the tribal systems of healthcare, of housing, education, workforce development. There's just so, so, so much more there. And so, um, Senator Murkowski, as litigation continues, how are lawmakers, including the Alaska delegation, um, looking to include Alaska Native people in any current or future COVID-19 relief packages? Well, we are, uh, again, we've got the litigation um, uh, that is is continuing. Um, The delegation had participated in an amicus uh, brief when it went to the uh, to the D.C. Circuit Court, and um, and that litigation will continue uh, for purposes of of further COVID relief. And uh, I appreciate that you phrased it that way because it is my absolute um, strongest belief that more more relief is is necessary, um, not only in Indian Country. Uh, here in the state of Alaska, we look to our very, very struggling economy. Um, we are seeing a, a spike in, in cases um, that we just haven't seen in, in months. We're, we're going in a direction that we had hoped to not. We are not done with COVID yet. And so additional relief will be required. So just as we did with CARES and with the supplemental CARES that followed it, making sure that tribal programs uh, we'll, we'll be able to uh, to receive level of services, whether it's uh, tribal health, whether it is um, uh, making sure that we are extending the special diabetes program, 
uh, some of the housing initiatives, the, the nutrition uh, initiatives, the food distribution programs um, uh, on, on reservations. There are so many different provisions that we are looking to um, in, in the next round. One thing that I think is absolutely key and critical, and I believe that we, we do have uh, good support uh, going forward in the next round uh, of relief, is the need to extend the time period to incur the costs under the Tribal Relief Fund. This has been expressed as a priority in, in every gathering that I have been part of, um, as I speak, I was speaking with folks in the Doyon region yesterday. Um, this is so important for us in Alaska, where everything happens in season. We've got food gathering, um, ordering supplies, shipping, uh, construction. Most materials for any type of infrastructure are, are ordered in, in large quantities. They require barge shipping. Um, this is now October. And we've seen the last of the barges that will be going uh, up into the interior in many parts of the state. And so we have villages that are very concerned about the short window of time to purchase and deliver the supplies that, that they need by freeze-up. Uh, we don't have a construction season that is year-round. And so uh, these, are, these are just practical realities. I heard uh, in a conversation yesterday um, with a gentleman from uh, the community uh, of Northway, he says, right now, I, the, the, the law says that we have to spend these, these dollars by the end of the year, but we don't know how we can do them. That was U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski talking about her support for Alaska Native corporations receiving CARES Act funds of the $8 billion set aside for tribes. You're listening to Alaska's Native Voice. Welcome back to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. We're talking about how COVID-19 has impacted tribal communities in the state, including litigation involving Alaska Native Corporation's inclusions of the $8 billion set aside for tribes. U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski is discussing her support of ANC's getting federal relief dollars. In, in this next um in this next round of, of relief, we will ensure that uh, not only there are additional resources to come, 
but those resources can be spent in a manner that is sound and sensible and, and, and enduring. If we are trying to ensure that we're meeting the, the health and sanitation needs and we have communities where, where washing your hands is not a practical reality because we do not have running water, um, that the, the limitation on, on sanitation is, is very, very restricted. And, 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 and we're in a position where we can't spend these, these uh, COVID-related funds on that because the construction season is just uh, uh, ready to close out for you and you haven't been able to get the materials. It doesn't make sense. So we want this. We want these funds to be spent wisely, um, but we recognize that we've got limitations. And I know that this is not just unique to Alaska, but in, in, in parts of, of the lower 48 as well. So we'll continue to push on, on this um, and for broader relief. Well, thank you so much for your time, Senator Murkowski. I appreciate it. And um, just real quick, if you had an AFN message or elders and youth message that you're hoping people... The work continues despite the pandemic, and there's a lot of issues uh, being discussed, climate change, resource development. I mean, you name it, the list is long. I think the theme for youth and elders this year is is particularly relevant. It speaks to making uh, a good path and a reminder that our elders um, have have shown us how to preserve, preserve and to really persevere and thrive. Throughout history, we learn from those lessons, and that leads to the innovations that we see today, the innovation that will will allow us to move through these difficult times um, that we're seeing with this pandemic. And so I know that uh, these gatherings um, virtually are a challenge for many. They are strange and and foreign in, in so many ways. But it is important for us to remember that the best that comes from, from youth and elders, the best that comes from AFN is, is the convening of, of friends and uh, acquaintances and hearts and stories. And while we won't be able to do the hugs, we can still share in the stories. We can show, still share in the support and this remarkable gathering of Alaska Native peoples on an annual basis is is a just a strong reminder of, of the best in all of us. So um, I'm looking forward to to participating throughout the week and, and would invite others to join us as well. That was U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski talking about her support for Alaska Native corporations receiving CARES Act funds of the $8 billion set aside for tribes. The U.S. Treasury has completed making CARES Act payments to tribal governments other than the Alaska Native Corporations due to litigation. According to a recent Treasury statement of accounts, more than $533 million has been held back by the Treasury and has yet to be dispersed. The Congressional Native American Caucus is calling on the Treasury Department for the funding to not expire.
President Trump signed the Not Invisible Act and Savannah's Act into law this month. The two bills are aimed at addressing the missing and murdered Indigenous women's crisis. The Not Invisible Act creates an advisory committee on violent crime composed of law enforcement, tribal leaders, federal partners, service providers, and survivors. They'll make recommendations to the Department of the Interior and the Department of Justice. Savannah's Act is named in honor of Savannah LaFontaine Greywind, a 22-year-old pregnant woman who was tragically murdered in 2017. Savannah's Act addresses the troubling increase in missing and murdered Native women by creating new guidelines for responding to such cases. As advocates praise work by lawmakers, they also say more still needs to be done. In addition, advocates in Alaska say... COVID-19 and emergency orders and precautions have made the crisis of missing and murdered Indigenous people worse, and they're raising safety concerns for Alaska Native women. Staff members with the Alaska Native Women's Resource Center talk about COVID-19 and the safety of women and children in communities across the state. My name is Deborah O'Gara, and I'm the policy specialist for the Alaska Native Women's Resource Center. My name is Jill Chapin. I'm the program specialist with the Alaska Native Women's Resource Center. My name is Candy Callen. I'm the communications coordinator for Alaska Native Women's Resource. Okay, great. Well, thank you for uh, joining me for the program Alaska's Native Voice. Um, talk a little bit about how COVID-19 has impacted uh, some of the challenges and concerns you've heard when it comes to violence and um, public safety. This is Jill. I can go ahead and start. So at the beginning of when COVID hit in March, we had a lot of new advocates throughout the state coming on board as a result of the tribal set-aside for the Office Against Violence of Victim Crime. And those new advocates were not as able to get training as they would have been otherwise prepared. So we have done a lot of training virtually with our advocates to different regions of the state, whereas we normally would have done regional trainings in person. A lot of our advocates throughout the state have really had to learn as they go, as well as they're seeing an increase in the number of cases, as well as an increase in the lethality of the cases that they are seeing. I think really the main the main um, message that we want to send folks is that already we live in a state where the rates of domestic violence, sexual assault, and gen- just general violence, in, especially in our in our villages, and certainly the um, issue of trafficking um, in our um, major hub areas had, was high before COVID hit in February and March, and um, uh, an already bad situation has already gotten worse, and um, and the the difficulties I think what Janelle was um, talking about as well is that with the COVID restrictions, with the travel restrictions and the um, lack of transportation, the um, and just the general um, lack of resources that are being able to get into our homes and into our um, communities has made a really bad situation even worse. Um, And we may not even know the scope of the increased amount of violence against 
uh, women and against children um, until after we are able to lift the travel and restrictions. We're trying our best to keep in touch with as many folks as we can and make sure that we're getting as many resources in. And that, that certainly becomes a, a difficult task, but we're, we're doing the best that we can and, and um, keeping in touch with folks to make sure that they know, they know um, things like our um, statewide helpline has increased the, the um, hours so that um, there's somebody that, um, if somebody's in crisis, mental health crisis, they can have somebody to call. If um, a limited amount of things that we can do other than keep in touch and make sure that um, folks are getting the help that they need, if at all possible. And Candy, do you want to expand on how the pandemic has impacted the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls in Alaska? I think what Deborah is saying goes with that too, is like not having as much access, um, not being um, able to go face to face and see. In the States, there's not like there are a lot of different resources or has historically been. There's um, the numbers are increasing. There was five uh, recently in Fairbanks. There's two currently in Nome um, with active searches going on. And I'll say that the, the other thing that's increasing, and again, we won't really know the numbers. Um, some of the numbers that we're expressing to you are numbers that we know of, but we also know that um, not we don't get reports on everything, but we also are getting um, high incidences of um, domestic violence in the homes that we that are just going unreported because of the shutdown from COVID. Um, Unfortunately, folks are um, not just women, but also children are being forced to hunker down in, in homes, um, abused children, neglected children who were at least um, had an opportunity to be seen or have some intervention come in because um, teachers or school administrators would have eyes on them um, in some places where the schools are not yet open and they're supposed to be doing um, homeschooling or online schooling, there's nobody, um, nobody putting eyes on the children. The same situation is for women who are in abusive situations. And um, I think that's leading to the increase of, of murders and homicides what that Janelle was saying. And um, again, we don't know what those are or how much they are, but it's a direct result. And I just want to underscore the numbers were already high before uh, 2020 started, and they've only increased um, at a more rapid rate. And so what can people do now if they're in need of services or resources during COVID-19? So as of right now, all of our shelters throughout the state are still open. They do have different COVID precautions in place on how they bring someone into shelter. So they can reach out to the tribal shelters as well as the state-run shelters. There are many advocates in communities, so they could check with their local tribal council to find out if they have advocates or where the best place to reach an advocate might be. 
they can reach out to us and we can help them get in contact with an advocate in their region or their area that would know better resources for them. We serve the entire state. And so we have a wide network of advocates that we work with. But we really believe that our communities themselves have the answer to resolving and lowering these numbers. Yeah, I just want to underscore what Janelle is saying, that the best thing to do is that um, the really important message is, is if you are in an unsafe situation or you are needing some assistance, um, do not assume that the shelters are closed. Do not assume that there is not help. Um, call, call for help. You can call the helpline. You can call us, as Janelle said, and call to get referrals. Even even if um, transportation in and out of your village is not does not appear to be available, call anyway because um, some things may something may be able to, to work. The really the the trick is as it is now. It was the same before um, COVID hit us. Is um, speak out and ask for help. It's candy. Um, so the helpline that De Deborah is talking about is the Strong Hearts Native Helpline. And the number is 18447NATIVE. And that is a great resource for people to be able to call and speak to an advocate. 18447628483. So we know that we are living in unprecedented times and oftentimes with having to isolate or be in our communities and reach out for help. We know it is harder now than ever to speak out and find help, but please know that we're all still here and we're all still working. Yes, and this is Deborah. And in closing remarks, I would just say that yes, things are, are um, worse than they ever were, but they will get better. And I, I think we just want to urge people to um, speak up, call for help, keep an eye on your neighbors, keep an eye on your family. If you suspect that there might be something happening, um, speak up for those who might not be able to speak up um, and ask for some help. And this is Candy, and I just want to say the same, that um, it's important for advocates to realize that we as the AKNWRC, the Alaska Native Women's Resource Center, we are here um, and are a resource for them. So if there are, are, are issues that they're struggling with or there's they're having a hard time figuring out how to provide the help that they they need to for a woman who is struggling um, or having is in a domestic violence relationship. Um, they can always reach out to us too to help um, troubleshoot or see what kind of resources there are available if they're not aware of them themselves. Those were some staff members with the Alaska Native Women's Resource Center talking about COVID-19 and how it's impacting the safety of women and children across Alaska. The Resource Center is expressing to the public, if you're in an unsafe situation or are in need of assistance, do not question if the shelters are closed or assume there's not help. They're urging people to speak out and ask for help. The Strong Hearts Native Helpline is 1-844-7-NATIVE. Again, that number is 1-844-7-NATIVE. Producer Emily Schwing spoke with an Alaska journalist about covering this sensitive topic. Work honored this year with a Pulitzer Prize for Public Service. 
My name is Kyle Hopkins, and I'm a reporter and editor uh, for the Anchorage Daily News and uh, for ProPublica. Within the past few years, I've been focused on issues that I'd been thinking about or had written a little bit about when I was a rural affairs reporter or even like a crime or politics reporter. And I'd hoped to, I'd wanted to explore some of those themes a little more deeply, um, including uh, issues regarding justice in Alaska and a lack of equitable justice and, and maybe even kind of unconstitutional um, denial of equal services uh, off the road system versus on the road system and some of these kind of big themes. Um, I kind of started this formal project that last year included stories about, you know, trying to quantify the number of Alaska, Alaska communities that, uh, that did not have on the ground public safety services um, and to provide some context like historical context for, for that lack of services and, and the idea that, um, you know, or at least exploring the question of where the, whether the state of Alaska and the federal government kind of ever delivered on um, the promise to provide, uh, you know, certain basic services um, off the road system. Um, and uh, concurrently kind of a, lo a look at like Alaska's high rate of sexual assault and the sexual abuse of children um, and exploring the question of why isn't this getting any better? Certainly there was a reaction early last year after kind of the first major story published. The U.S. Attorney General William Barr had declared a federal emergency, kind of a, uh, you know, highlighting a lack of rural law enforcement. Um, a lot of money has been promised and some of it has been delivered um, to improve public safety uh, in rural Alaska. You know, I think I would like to at some point, you know, talk to talk to people about if they have they have they seen that money, <laughs> and and if so, is it has it helped? You know, um, I would say I haven't delivered on my intention to really look at the court system. You know, we spend a lot of time writing about police, but but I think there's a lot to say about the court system. And like, if you are a victim, like a survivor or a victim of a crime, or if you're accused of a crime. You know, are you treated differently depending on where you live and kind of who you are? Is it, you know, do you experience a different court system than than other Alaskans? So I think it would be great to not hear or not talk to people and hear again and again and again this experience of you know reporting a crime and and being disappointed in the response. And you know, conversely, like if you know if someone is accused of a crime, that they're going to be treated fairly basically just that like the the system works as intended and it and you don't have this giant disparity based on um something you don't have control over necessarily which is just you know um where you live where you were born that was reporter kyle hopkins elders and young people were able to connect virtually for the 2020 First Alaskans Elders and Youth Conference. Elders kicked off the event sharing stories and knowledge. 
this is my father, Harold Asmalka, from uh, originally from Huslia and adopted. Uh, he was born to Lucy Vent from Huslia and uh, adopted by Martha and Peter Asmalka of Nalato. He just celebrated his 90th birthday on October 6th, so here he is. Well, I uh, grew up in a period of time when there was uh, quite a transition uh, with the people of the interior, the native people of the interior, uh, in their uh, lifestyle, uh, in their language, in their education, uh, and their religion also. So it, uh, it was quite a transitional period of time. Uh, I was raised in, uh, uh, like my daughter said, I was born at, uh, uh, between Caltag and Nulato. And it was a very difficult period of time uh, during the Depression, and uh, it was 1930. And uh, uh, I was adopted out because of the difficulty of raising a child during that period of time. I was adopted to uh, an Indian family, uh, the uh, Martha and Peter Esmalco from Nulato and raised in a real uh, uh, subsistence lifestyle where they did uh, the semi-nomadic lifestyle of moving with the seasons, uh, just uh, as a matter of uh, uh, a way of life. The spring camp, uh, the fall camp, the winter camp, the summer camp, that time of moving uh, with the uh, the cycle of, of the year. So it was a very difficult period of time. Uh, however, it was uh, a very happy period of time for me. I, uh, uh, being a youngster and growing up, we never, I never knew of any real difficult times of any period of hunger or anything like that. The family always provided for us off the off mainly off the land and uh, so as far as schooling there was very little uh, opportunity for schooling because of the movement uh, from one place to another so uh, I never really got any basic uh, grade school uh, however uh, when my father passed away in 1942, his, one of his last wishes was for my mother to send me to uh, Holy Cross Mission, which was a Catholic boarding school. It was an, an orphanage, is what it was. So uh, in 1942, that's where they sent me. And uh, I did get, I managed to get a little schooling there. and and made it to the sixth grade uh, until I was at the age where I was more uh, uh, more adaptable or more had, had more of an opportunity to go to a, a trade school rather than uh, uh, to grade school. 
so they put me into shop training and uh, as a, uh, learning the basics of mechanics. Uh, so really that's what uh, I became as my, my trade as a mechanic. And uh, I stayed at the mission until I was drafted into the service in 1951. And that was my first time off the Yukon uh, into the service. However, I never did get out of Alaska. I spent my uh, basic training at Anchorage at uh, Fort Richardson and then transferred to a lad field at Fairbanks. One of the things that always was with me is the fact that the people are very resilient and they're very adaptable. And that I think was their biggest survival uh, help than anything else was their adaptability and the ability to continue on and change. So, uh, and it comes on gradually. It, 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 it's kind of forced on you, but you adapt to it as a, and, and there are, and, and that's a very difficult thing to be able to adapt. Some can adapt easily and others have difficult time doing it. Uh, and so we have to just do it a day at a time. One of the things that I must say is along the way, as you, as you work hard and get along with people, people that are in a position will always reach out to help you. And that has been one of my greatest uh, help that I've had is from people that were in a position as they see you're struggling, as they see you're trying hard, they will be helped. They will reach out to help you. And I think that's the goodness in people. Those were some words from an elder shared this week at the First Alaskans Institute's Elders and Youth Conference. Thank you for tuning in to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. AFN, Alaska's Native Voice, produced and directed by Antonia Gonzalez and Emily Schwing. Broadcast support provided by the Siri Foundation, Cook Inlet Lending Center, South Central Foundation, Chalista Corporation, Manilik Association, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, and Rasmussen Foundation. This is a production of KNBA, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.